last year we did the Moms Talk Money Summit, which we had 25,000 moms at. And we did this survey of where do you feel like your money blocks are? And over and over and over again in the survey, I'm not worthy of money. I'm not worthy of wealth. I don't think I could manage money if I had it. And like that word of worthiness was in answer after answer after answer. And I think that there's a lot of different reasons for that, whether it's lack of self-confidence, whether it's being told that we can't manage that money, whether it's fear that if we had it, we wouldn't do the right things with it. And so we're afraid of money and, and we push it off. And so we work a lot on that at Smart Money Mamas of reframing Money not as something that's stressful, but money as something that's an opportunity for self-care and self-development, that when you're financially secure, when you have the money that you need, you can live your best life. My name is Allison Baggerly, creator of Inspired Budget, and I'm on a mission to help women live their best life and reach their money goals. Join me here for inspiring conversations to help you learn more about budgeting, saving money, paying off debt, and even investing for your future. You'll be hearing not only from me, but others along the way that have a story and voice to share. Let's dive in. Today, I get to introduce you to my friend, Chelsea from Smart Money Mamas, and she is an ex-hedge fund manager turned financial educator, and she is dedicated to changing the way we talk about money, helping moms connect with all aspects of their money in a way that lets them overcome emotional blocks, identify what they want most, and create the healthy money habits that will help them achieve their biggest goals. If you are a mom, this episode is for you. Let's dive in. Welcome, Chelsea, to the Inspire Budget Podcast. I am excited to have you here um, because you have such an incredible story, and I want to share it with others. Thanks so much for having me, Allison. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your story. I know you went from being a hedge fund investor to an entrepreneur, and I feel like that's quite a quite a jump. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it was a big change. So right out of college, I was actually making this decision to be a teacher or to go work on Wall Street. I always really was interested in teaching. I love teaching. I made this decision to go to Mm -hmm. Wall Street, partially thinking that like I wanted to have that financial security. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can make a lot more money at Wall Street than you can as a teacher. (laughs) Yes, you you can. (laughs) But after, and I always thought I'd have a second act career. I'd do the Wall Street thing until I was, my my target had always been 40, 45, and then I'd Mm -hmm. leave, whether it was early retirement or really just having the financial wherewithal to go do something else. Right. So I was in New York for several years. Then I moved to a hedge fund in Boston where I managed an investment account there. But after we had our first kid, it just wasn't aligning with my own values, both work-life balance and actually feeling like I was having an impact on the world. It just is not that kind of place. And so I started a blog really as a hobby. I was in a mom's group with Mm -hmm. 200 other women who had their first kid the same month I had my first kid. We'd all been together. We'd all been together since early pregnancy. We were from all across the, the country. And so I had become kind of the go-to person to answer money questions. And I started Mm -hmm. this hobby blog to answer their questions. I realized I was answering the same things over and over and it (laughs) grew into, uh, into smart money mamas. And so 10 months after I started that hobby blog, we were pregnant with our second. I, my water broke at 32 weeks. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was really scary. We were expecting a preemie and we were at the hospital and the high risk OB came in and was like, you've had a kid before your water broke. Like you're going to go into labor in the next 72 hours. Mm-hmm. which is not what happened. I ended up it very, very rarely like your water reseals and the magnetic fluid rebuilds. It's very, very rare, but he stayed cool. until term. But while we were waiting, I was in the hospital for 10 days, making sure that everything was going to be okay. 
my work was still sending me questions. I was still like stressed out. And I just said, I, I can't do this anymore. And so we'd been preparing for fire for years. And so we had a cushion and I decided that, that I was done. I was going to pursue the blog. I was going to give myself two years to see if I could make it work. And I quit from my hospital bed. So that's the transition. Wow. So did you quit before your second baby was born while you were just in this crazy time where there was a lot of unsure things going on with your pregnancy? I, it was before he was born. It was mm -hmm. end of December. And I give my company a lot of credit in that they had told me when I was pregnant with my first and I talked to HR preparing for maternity leave, right? One of the things they said to us is like, listen, if you ever don't want to come back, right? Like you're in maternity leave, you decide you don't want to come back to work. Just tell us as soon as possible. Like we're not yeah. going to cut off your maternity leave benefits. We're not going to do it. Like we'll pay you through maternity leave, but just, we want as much leeway as possible. And so mm -hmm. when we were in that situation, I called my boss and I said, listen, I had had a lot of health issues prior to the water breaking mm -hmm. at 32 weeks. It was in a stressful time. And I said, listen, I just need time for myself. I'm going to try to do this other venture and I don't, I'm not going to come back after maternity leave. And they were great. So they continued to pay. Good. We knew that they were going to continue to pay me through my maternity leave and that we'd have COBRA benefits after that, which mm -hmm. is obviously stupid expensive, but we knew we were still going to have healthcare financially. We were stable. So I was able to quit when I was still pregnant, which I know is not something a lot of people can do, especially when my husband's a stay at home parent. Right. But this was a situation where we had been preparing for some kind of fire for many years before mm -hmm. we made this jump. First off, just for everyone listening, when you say fire, you mean financial fin independence, retire early. Retire early. How, and you were like really working a lot, weren't you? Like this wasn't just some sort of simple like, oh, my bosses are bugging me while I'm in the hospital. I mean, you were working how many hours a week? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't uncommon to be working 80 to 90 hours a week. I think my average, you know, in a normal situation, we were probably working 60 to 65, but wow. because my, the fund that I worked at was what we call distressed debt, which are companies that are on the verge of bankruptcy or going through bankruptcy is a lot of what okay. you're investing in. There's a ton of real time process that goes into that, right? Court mm -hmm. cases and, and, negotiating and whatever. And so we were kind of on call all the time when we had a company that was going through that process or where we were doing a buyout or something like mm -hmm. that. And so my hours were crazy and I didn't have a lot of control over them. It really depended on where the companies we were covering were in the process. What I love about your story is that you leave college and you're faced with this choice. Do I become a teacher? Because that's where my heart is. Or do I become a hedge fund manager? Like just two, to me, completely different things. You went with a high salary and now you've kind of ended up in a spot where you're teaching mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. And so I love that. Was it hard to walk away from that higher salary? It wasn't hard in the moment. I think that I'd been preparing to leave and do something else for a while. I had explored a number of entrepreneurial ventures in kind of the two years prior. I knew okay. that I probably wasn't going to make it to that 40, 45 mm -hmm. age range. I needed to do something else. It was much harder once I'd actually left. And I think that especially anyone who's in a career like that or who is pursuing FI, so much of your identity gets tied up into saving a lot of your money and building mm -hmm. wealth and having a career, like a successful career, that when that goes away and you're now not watching your investments go up, you're watching your investments decline year on year mm -hmm. as you take money out is a much harder right. thing to do that transition became more difficult, but in general, I was ready to do something else. And mm -hmm. so it was, it was fun to just kind of jump into something that was entirely my own. And then I'm guessing you also saw benefits as a mom. I mean, 
being able to not have to literally go into an office, but have a little bit more freedom. How did that really affect your family? It did make a lot of benefits for my family. I think that this is another instance where you there's unlearning that has to be done every time you make a mm-hmm. transition like this. And so when I first left, the agreement my husband and I made was that I would take a proper maternity leave. I was going to take four to six months to heal and to do better before I started working on the business. Um, did that happen? No. Because I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> No, it didn't happen at all. That was such an idealist thing to say. I put in my notice. And then when I was uh, discharged from the hospital and then I had uh, several weeks before George was born, mm-hmm. I like immediately started to get worried about income because yeah. I'm a person who strives for financial security always. So even mm-hmm. though the money was in the bank, I got nervous. And so I signed my first couple of freelance writing clients before, from when I quit before George was born. And so I didn't take really any kind of maternity leave with him. And then I had postpartum depression. Life was hard, especially those first six to 12 months. I was still working way too much. I hadn't hadn't broken the habit of working really long hours. And it took some practice to figure out how to have better work-life balance and how to prioritize my health and my family. Now things are much, much better. We've been out for three years and now I do a better job of making sure I have time with the kids that I'm always there for breakfast and always there for bedtimes and that I pick them up Mm -hmm. from school. It's definitely a lifestyle we could not have had at the hedge fund, but I don't want anyone to think that that's something that happened overnight. I think that anytime you're leaving, you're trying to completely change your lifestyle rebuilding habits is, is a difficult process and you have to be ready to kind of really align your choices with your values and revisit that on a regular basis. I love that. I really do. It brings me back to when I was teaching, but also running Inspire Budget full-time and my family suffered. I mean, I was around the clock, either teaching teaching or working on my business and something had to give. Yeah. And then when I left teaching, we decided, okay, financially we can do this. I can leave teaching. I didn't understand how to turn off work. Mm. I was so used to working these 12, 13, 14 hour days between my two jobs, if I couldn't, if I wasn't working, I didn't feel like I was serving a purpose. Sitting with my family wasn't serving a purpose. Watching a movie with my kids wasn't serving a purpose. I always felt like I had to go, go, go. And so you're right. It does take some unlearning to get there. And I'm still working on it. And I do think too, I don't know if you had this experience when you have more free time it's almost you're less you're less productive. Like you can't get the the fewer things done in your day because there's just like there's too much free time. Mm-hmm. And so I had a tendency, and I still do sometimes. My husband will call me out on it of just filling the time up with yep. other things to create a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something you, we all have to practice. Yes, it it really is. Today's episode is brought to you by my free budgeting basics email course. If you're new to budgeting, if you've never budgeted before, or if you need a refresher, then this free email course is for you. I'll walk you through exactly how to write a budget, how to get started with paying off debt, and even start saving money. You'll get access to my free resource library where I have tons of free printables to help you stay organized. Go to inspirebudget.com slash free dash course to sign up, or just click the link below in the show notes. So you have, through this journey, really, truly focused on connecting with mom. Moms are the people that you talk to. So I'm, I'm curious because you're used to talking and communicating with moms and teaching moms. What are the common beliefs around money that moms tend to have or, or ones that you have seen come up over and over again? 
So the biggest one is that people think they're bad with money, that it's just oh, something yes. that they can't do. And that's not mom specific, but I do think that there are a lot of societal tr- trainings that happen to women from young age that teaches us that we're bad with money. And it's it's from anything to the things that women traditionally like are viewed as frivolous as a society, right? Uh-huh. When you're interested in clothes, or you're interested in whatever it is. Purses, shoes, pedicures. From a very young age, we're told that those are frivolous expenses instead of, it's always funny to me when women come into our community and they say like, oh, I'm the spender. My husband's not a spender. But when you break into their budget, you're like, okay, but he just bought a brand new truck six months ago for $30,000. Like, yeah, you've bought some clothes, but you haven't bought $30,000 worth of clothes. Or like new tools, right? I mean, you have how many new tools do you really need? So you're right. You're so right. Because society has told us Mm -hmm. these things aren't worth spending money on if you buy them. Therefore, you aren't good with money. Yeah. And so that's one that we hear a lot. The Mm. other one that we hear that's unfortunate is that people say they want to be better with money, but they want to be able to give their kids all the experience that they wanted. So they're not going to worry about it right now. Yes. I hear that a lot too. Mm -hmm. I really do. Almost this. And sometimes it stems from, I feel like I, what I did wasn't able to do as a child. Therefore, I have to give it to my kids. Yes. I didn't go to Disney World as a child. So therefore, I have to give it to my kids. I didn't take these luxurious family vacations or insert thing here. Yeah. Therefore, if I don't give it to my kids, they are missing out and I'm failing. Yeah. And so that's a common one. And I think the biggest one that comes back that that breaks my heart a little bit is lack of sense of worthiness. Last year, we did the Mamas Talk Money Summit, which we had 25,000 moms at. And we did this survey of where do you feel like your money blocks are? And over and over and over again in the survey, I'm not worthy of money. I'm not worthy of wealth. I don't think I could manage money if I had it. And like that word of worthiness was in answer after answer after answer. And I think that there's a lot of different reasons for that, whether it's lack of self-confidence, whether it's being told that we can't manage that money, whether it's fear that if we had it, we wouldn't do the right things with it. And so we're afraid of money and and we push it off. And so we work a lot on that at Smart Money Mamas of reframing money, not as something that's stressful, but money as something that's an opportunity for self-care and self-development, that when you're financially secure, when you have the money that you need, you can live your best life. You can invest in yourself. You can live in alignment with your values. You don't have to worry about shopping where it's cheapest to buy things, even though you hate all the practices and standards of the company (laughs) you're buying at, right? Like we've had that question too, of people being like, Hey, I don't want to shop at Walmart. There's a lot of their practices that Mm -hmm. I don't believe in, but I also can't afford to shop local for everything. And it's not that you have to change all your shopping, but giving people more space to really align with what they want and and thinking of wealth, not as something that's selfish, but wealth is something that lets you live as your truest self. I love that. And I think a lot of people just haven't had the experience of managing money. Maybe it was taken off of their plate at a young age. Maybe someone said, no, no, don't, don't you worry about that. I'll go ahead and manage it. And when you don't have practice, when you don't have experience, you don't have that confidence. Yeah. So to me, the way to become confident is to actually start getting involved in the finances, writing the budget, learning about investments. I used to think that, oh, I don't have a degree. I don't have a degree in you know, in business. I don't have a degree in accounting. I don't have a degree. So I, I don't know how to manage investments. Like that's just way over my head. Mm-hmm. I'm just a teacher. I remember thinking that. And it's like, who says? Who Says who? Mm-hmm. Says who? 
And making it complicated is something that only benefits the financial industry, right? They want you to be oh, confused. Can we talk about that? Yes. Can we, can we, oh my gosh, like, I feel like you're the per, the perfect person to talk about this. Repeat what you just said. Making it complicated only benefits the financial industry. Why? Because then they can charge higher fees. They You stay in debt longer because you think it's just a way of life. You pay more. I mean, even all the organizations that are out there that are scammy organizations about helping you get out of debt, a debt consolidation that's not on the up and up. We have all these ways that we end up paying money because we don't understand the system where in mm-hmm. reality, the basics of money and, and handling it properly, even the basics of investing are very, very simple. And you can have a very basic, easy strategy that is actually more likely to succeed than some of the higher fee ones. A perfect example is we get asked about how we invest all the time, right? Like I get that question constantly because that's my background. When I tell people we own two index funds, like two (laughs) index funds and that's it. And like there are other things we might do over time and there's some, some, but like in general, that's the lowest fee. It's simple. I don't have to work on it all the time. We can consistently put the money in. And when you look at historically, what leads to the longest term investment success is having the lowest possible fees. And so simple structure, making sure you're consistent, that you're not paying attention to the emotional roller coaster that is the ups and downs Mm -hmm. in the market. That's all you really need to know. That's like, that's the basics. And it's crazy. It's crazy because they want you to think that it's so expensive so that you hire someone so that they can charge you more fees. So that they can make money. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Like, that's exactly what we do as well. We invest in index funds and we keep it simple. And automation is amazing. Being able to automate it for the longest time we were automating it. Now that my my income fluctuates, we have our minimum that we will invest every single month. But when my income fluctuates, I get to invest more. And it's very exciting whenever I do make more, I can invest more. And so we no longer automate, but it's only because we want to want to spend more. And I guess we could automate. And I want to comment too. I think that I love index fund investing. It's very, it's what we teach in the Motivated Mama Society. But I do want to mention too, that sometimes that thought process goes too far too. And you'll see people in the FI movement or whatever talking about how it's a waste of money to have a financial advisor. It's a waste of money to have more complicated investing choices, whatever it is. You have to do what works for you. And while I think that mm-hmm. most families probably don't need a financial advisor, the, the right. investing things are simple enough. If you want somebody that's going to give you some confidence, that's going to talk to you through it, that's going to keep you investing more and more consistently because you're more confident, that is an investment that is worth it. If yes, apples for apples, the same amount of money you're going to make more if your fees are lower, but the situation isn't apples to apples. If you're only going to invest $2,000 a year when you're doing it yourself because you're terrified (laughs) or $6,000 a year with with an advisor because you feel confident, you have to figure out what works for you. I would just say that anytime you're hiring anybody, make sure they have proper training and experience, right? I prefer somebody who's a CFP, which is certified financial planner, and that they have fiduciary duty, which means they have to operate in your best interest. Financial advisors, unfortunately, are not a very regulated term. And there's over 90% of them aren't don't have fiduciary duty, which means can, can lead to a lot of expensive investments, things that aren't best suited for you. So let's say that there's a mom out there listening right now, and she's always handed off her money, always handed off her finances, because that's what she was told to do. Mm -hmm. What would be the first step you would give her? She says, you know what? I want to take back more control. I want to learn more. But I mean, Chelsea, you know, learning all of it, it can be very overwhelming because there's so much to learn. So what would you recommend would be her first step? Mm, Money mindset. 
And so before we get into the budget at all, before we get into investing at all, we start our community off with mindset. So if you were in the Motivated Mama Society, our first course that people go through is called Thriving Mindset. And the reason for that is we all have a lot of baggage around money, right? You said a woman who's been told that someone else will manage the money, a woman who a lot of women have experienced money as a source of control. Money has been used as a power over instead Mm -hmm. of a power with for them. And so that's a really scary thing. They've had, whether it's a dad or a partner who has used money as a way to control them, we have a lot of fear. And so going back first and peeling back, what is my money story? What are the money beliefs that I have and are they serving me or do I want to change them? And then actually having the tools to pick something that's more empowering and understanding Mm -hmm. those fears. And then the second stage of the, that mindset course is to say, what relationship do you want with money? And so we ask people, what are the three words, the three emotion words that you want to feel when you interact with your money? Do you want to feel abundant? Do you want to feel charitable? Do you want to feel powerful? Do you want to feel secure? Pick your words. Mm -hmm. We actually give them a huge word cloud. I love it. And I want them to focus in on making the habits and making the choices that bring them closer to that feeling. Because while we can't overnight get out of debt, we can't overnight be on track for retirement. We can make the daily choices that get us closer to that feeling. And the more we cultivate that feeling, the more we're cultivating the life that we want because we're making choices that align us with those things. And so when we deal with that first, then when we go into budget, when we go into figuring out where you stand, you're better able to call up what those negative things are. So when you're feeling afraid, you can take a moment, you can take a deep breath and say, hey, that's coming from this time when I was 10 and had this fear. And I can kind of let that go. I can address it. I can honor it and I can let it go. And it makes that whole process easier. It makes it more likely that you're going to stick with these new things that you're learning, the new habits that you're developing. I love it. That is so helpful. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I know there's moms out here listening right now that are saying, maybe that's why, maybe that's why it hasn't stuck before. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why I wasn't successful before. It was because I wasn't tackling the way I was thinking about money. I was just trying to go to the first thing. Chelsea, at the end of every interview, I like to ask three questions. You don't have to think about them too much, but I'm excited to hear your answers. The first one is, what is one thing on your bucket list that you want to do? Oh, I want to scuba dive the Great Barrier Reef. That has been on our bucket list forever. We were going to go before we had our kids, um, but we mm-hmm. ended up instead going on a trip to Alaska, an uh, expedition oh, wow. cruise with our best friends, which was amazing. And we saw all kinds of animals. But we still want to go to the reef. And mm-hmm. especially with th- what's happening with the oceans and what's happening with bleaching, we'd love to go sooner rather than later. But yeah, that's yeah. absolutely on my bucket list. Are you scuba certified? Yes. Oh, cool. So I am advanced scuba certified. And my husband is actually, he was, uh, he did commercial diving and he used to be a yacht captain. And so wow. we've done a bunch of diving, but we haven't, I've d- scuba dived in Fiji, which is beautiful. And it's very close to Australia, but we haven't wow. done the, done the reef yet. So that is cool. Okay. So let's say, <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this one. You have three hours to do whatever you want with no interruptions, no kids, no husband. What do you do? Oh, I am finding the most comfortable chair and like my favorite blanket. And I am reading for three hours so uninterrupted. I, I thought you're either going to say you're working or you're reading. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one you would pick. 
Working, I do enough working. <laughs> I yeah. got enough working. But books are one of my favorite things. I actually have a TikTok account that is just about book stuff. What? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love it. I'm going to have to check it out. Started for fun a couple months ago. But yeah, I absolutely love exploring indie bookstores, reading fiction books, particularly fantasy. And so that's what I would do is I would read. And do you prefer the physical book or do you prefer audiobook? Physical book. Everyone who's listening can't see what's behind me, but I have a massive wall of bookshelves that Allison is looking at behind me. I like the physical books. I find if I try to read on my iPad, I get distracted. Like I'm like, I'm going to go check oh, yeah. email or do whatever. There's too many options. Um, so yeah. I, trub- I struggle with reading physical books just because I get distracted anyway. So audiobooks, that's what I have mm-hmm. found. If I'm going to read a book all the way through, it has to be an audiobook or else I get kind of easily distracted. But that's usually for like nonfiction books. I think fiction books are different. Fiction books are different. Nonfiction. Yeah. Nonfiction. I definitely either do audio or I I read pretty fast. So I will set aside, you you know, you mentioned three hours. I will block like two and a half hours on my workday and just read the book. Oh, wow. And, and just focus through the reading the book. But yeah, fiction, uh, my husband teases me that like I literally hear no one once I start reading. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> he'll tap me on the shoulder and he's like, Henry has said your name five times. You oh, my gosh. But what a wonderful thing for your kids to see you, your love of reading. I think that that's definitely going to transfer over to them. Mm. Okay. So the last one, my favorite thing I've ever spent money on is. Ooh, that's a great question. My, my thoughts going to Fiji. I mean, (laughs) so Fiji was a nonprofit trip that we went on. So I ended up spending an extra week doing diving and stuff, but there that we were mostly there to, to build a school, which was an Mm -hmm. amazing trip. I'd say Alaska's probably, that was our favorite trip ever. We got to see three different pods of orcas come together. So orcas do this. Orcas are maternal units, which I love. They're, they're, the pods are always headed up by the oldest female and their Mm -hmm. pods are their sons and daughters. And then every once in a while, as the sons reach maturity, they will pod up and switch to maintain gene lines and things like that. And so it's pretty rare to see. And while we were in Alaska, we saw three pods come together and do this mating thing, which was amazing. We saw tons of bald eagles and it was just like the coolest trip. So that's probably the favorite, my favorite thing I've spent money on was, was that trip with our friends. Oh, and was it a cruise or was it? It was a small boat cruise. So it wasn't like a big, it was like a 60 person, 60, 70 person boat. And we spent every day bushwhacking and kayaking and paddle boarding. That is so cool. Oh my gosh. Well, I have to give me more information about that because that sounds (laughs) awesome. But before then, go ahead and share with everyone listening where they can find you. Absolutely. So we are Smart Money Mamas. It's Mamas spelled M-A-M-A-S. Basically everywhere. You can come find us on Instagram. You can find us online. You can find our YouTube live show. If you go to youtube.com forward slash Smart Money Mamas, we do a weekly YouTube live show on Tuesdays and we'd love to have you there. Yes. And a podcast. And a podcast. And yes. The- you, a, you do it all. <laughs> When's the book coming out? That's the next thing, right? <laughs> uh, for those of you listening, Alice and I have the same coach who is repeated me, asked me that question as well as when the book is coming. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the podcast is actually a lot of repurposed content from the YouTube live show. It's the same interviews. Oh. You can listen in either place. We'd love to have you. Love it. Well, I'll link to all of that down below. Thanks for joining us, Chelsea. Thanks so much for having me, Allison. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chelsea. I think that she's such an inspiration and I love that she is specifically helping moms out there to just learn how to manage their money better and just go after their dreams. Ultimately, I hope that this episode helps you live your best life and reach your money goals. If you are enjoying the Inspire Budget podcast, I would love it and truly appreciate it if you would leave a rating or review on the Apple Podcast app. 
Thanks, and I'll talk to you next week.